This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Home Gadget Geeks, show number 172, recorded on June 19th, 2014. Here at Home Gadget Geeks, we cover all your favorite tech gadgets that find their way into your home. News, reviews, product updates, and conversation all for the average tech guy. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska. And we post the show each week with uh, world-class, we say world-class show notes, and they're going to be really good. So you're going to want to go out to the show notes this week for sure. I already see a bunch of links that uh, John's put out there out at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can send us send those to us. A couple ways you can do that. Send me an email. Jim at TheAverageGuy.tv. You can find me on Twitter at Jay Collison, and I've amped up my Twitter activity a lot. So you might want to head out there and uh, check that out. A lot of good stuff coming out of that. And now you can uh, call in those questions, 402-478-8450. It'll go right, uh, right, it's Google Voice, so just go right in. You can leave that message, and if it's uh, related to what we're talking about, we will play it right here on the show. And now Home Gadget Geeks is a part of the Geeks Network. Find the links to this show and many other really good podcasts out at thegeeksnetwork.com. You can join us in chat, watch or listen live on YouTube, Spreaker, and now Mixler. So any one of those services will have the live and the recorded uh, version of this as well. And find all the navigation for everything you need out at theaverageguy.tv. All right, a cool show. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. I did uh, some time. Uh, it sounds like I was in jail. I did some time <laughs> at Infotech 2014, and uh, I met John Nye at uh, that Infotech session. And John and I got a chance to spend some time together. And I, when we got done with the uh, interview, by the way, if you want to head out to theaverageguy.tv slash Infotech 2014, all the videos we did of that are out there. And John is one of them. I said, hey, would you come on the podcast? And he said, absolutely. So John, John Nye, I said like Bill Nye, John yep. Nye. John, <laughs> welcome to the program. Glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And for all of you who are wondering, I am sort of somehow in the tree related to Bill Nye. But I don't know him. He's never been to a family reunion. None of that good stuff. He's there, though. All right. Good, good enough. And hopefully your science <laughs> might be a bit, little bit better than his. And yeah. then, <laughs> Or maybe your technology. Yeah. And then all the way over to my left. And he's on a home gadget geek. Uh, we have not had we haven't had great luck with Christian on the show, but I knew we were going to talk. We we're going to be talking about some hacking and some cybersecurity and those kinds of things. I wanted to have Christian on the program. So Christian, welcome back. Thanks. Good to be here, and uh, of course, good to be part of anything related to cyber conversation. So looking forward to it. Yeah, I do want to mention, uh, if you haven't subscribed to Cyber Frontiers, it is no longer coming through the Home Gadget Geek feed. So we yeah, did that, do that for about... You should have done that last week. They should have, but not all of them have, so we're just reminding them to head out. If you haven't done that, head out to theaverageguy.tv. Everything you need to get subscribed, and you have to resubscribe. We're not going to put it in the Home Gadget Geek feed anymore. It will be its own separate feed that's out there, and so get subscribed to that. You might want to put that in iTunes or... You can subscribe to it on Stitcher. You can grab the RSS feed and put it in any podca podcatcher that you might use. Any of those kinds of things, you might want to get it. We just published Cyber Frontiers 4. And so if you haven't listened to that yet, guess what? You're missing it. And mm -hmm. we would love to have you go out and get that to listen to. And so however you do that, you guys are all very tech savvy. I know that. I, and, you know, I never have to tell you what to do from a tech perspective. So just get it in your podcatcher of choice or however you decide to do it and uh, listen to Cyber Frontiers for, uh, number four. 
looking for your feedback on that. Christian and I continue to tweak the format of what we're doing there. And uh, we had a very interesting guest, Mark Goldstein, on on four. And got about halfway through what we really wanted to talk about. We'll have Mark back to talk to finish up the rest. But get that done as well. I also do want to remind you as well that uh, Home Server Show Meetup is coming up if you're going to be in the Indianapolis area on September 20th. Love to have you come out. We get together for a meetup. It's great. We get about 50 guys together. Lots of tech on the weekend. Uh, 20 bucks gets you in the door, and it's a great deal. I'll have the link in the show notes as well, and we'll talk about that here at the end. All right, John, I want to dig right in with you. Sure. Let's, uh, let's get to know you a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your background, what you're doing, what sure. school you're going to, those kinds of things. Okay. Well, I uh, started off with the computer security side in the military. I was in the Army. Uh, so I got to be a security admin, security officer, all that fun stuff in the Army. And then uh, have been working my way through the ranks. I worked uh, at CSG for a while, worked at Qubit for a while, and now I'm at First Data. Uh, oh, and I'm a local Omaha companies, yeah. I forgot to mention. You're literally down the street. I mean, yes. not quite, but you're, you're not far from me here in Omaha. Very close, very close. And they're, and they're yeah, it's always funny because there's all these companies here in Omaha that are massive, you know, Fortune 200 companies that nobody's ever heard of because they're not the kind that advertise. They're not like, you know, like Google, you know, nobody's ever heard of First Data, but First Data is like a Fortune 12 company or something. So Yeah, chances are your credit card is processed through First Data. Mm -hmm. They said uh, some like $5 trillion in processing per year. So, yeah, most likely. Uh, so uh, as I've been, I'm also in school. I'm in my final some two semesters of college, getting my degree uh, from Bellevue University in cybersecurity, and I've got a bunch of certifications. I'm an ethical hacker, certified ethical hacker. Uh, I've also got my uh, EC Council uh, certified security analyst, and I'm a licensed penetration tester, along with some other certs that aren't quite as relevant, but those are the those are the majors right now that I have, uh, and I'm actually that is my job now. Is I'm an ethical hacker. I do black box testing at at First Data, so it's awesome. Great Very job. Cool. Yep. And you'll be wrapping up your your bachelor's degree here in Bellevue this fall. Was that right? Yep, November is actually my graduation. In November, and then stay on for a master's program. I didn't realize I had a master's program in cybersecurity. Yeah, it's fairly new. Uh, and I got I talked to the dean, and he's like, "You're in," because I've gotten A's. So he's like, "Yeah, of course you're in." <laughs> so I'm already in it. I'm already signed up, ready to go into the master's program and do independent study. That's the best part about it. Independent study is is you know, that's the reason to take a master's, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> Get yeah. credit for doing fun sure. stuff. Yeah. And it's literally, I mean, uh, Bellevue University is uh, less than a mile from where I live. Mm -hmm. So you, it's just down the street here. Kind of fun to talk about podcasting stuff that it's just, you know, very, very, very local. So good. So how long will it take you to finish the master's? Uh, I think it's uh, 18 to 24 months. Depends yeah. how many classes I take at a time. But uh, I'll probably knock it out as quick as I can. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, ethical hacker, and that you know that always brings up for for the average guy, right? You security guys, Christian, you probably know what that is. But for the average guy, kind of listening in, what what, what does that mean? I mean, uh, hacking has gotten kind of a negative connotation. Sure. Although recently, it's gotten it's it, there's people who turn that. Christian uh, works for us at Gallup as a growth hacker. 
right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of his position title. Uh, that's there, so that's a, that's positive. And there's life hacking and some of those kinds of things. So True. Tell me what an ethical hacker is. Sure. Yeah. The the term hackers it's gone through its phases over the years, everything from good to bad, and even now with some of the things we've been hearing from the, that the government's doing, like the NSA and what have you. Even those guys who are ethical hackers, we have trouble believing what they're doing is right, too. It's it's actually a really tricky area, especially if you study anything with business ethics, to really, to really think about because what you're doing is exactly what the bad guys are doing. So I would go into a system and I would look for any sort of vulnerability I can take advantage of and hack that system or, you know, social engineer people or whatever it takes, but... The difference is that I'm doing it all with permission, and I always have a signed letter from somebody very high up in the company that's like on the desk next to me. <laughs> so when somebody comes up to my desk and you're doing the wrong thing, I can show them this letter signed by an SVP or whoever it is. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, it's happened a couple times when I was in the army. I had a couple times. In fact, one time the MPs came and everything. It was it was a ton of fun, wow. and uh, and they had to call the colonel of the brigade and, and he had to vouch for me and they, they let me go. But yep, it's it's happened when I've done some stuff that and it but the trick it, it the really tricky part too is, you know, if I was a bad guy, if I was a black hat hacker and I was trying to break into a company's systems, there'd be no limitations as to what I would use or leverage to get into that system. Well as an ethical hacker you have a lot of limitations. I can't if you have a third party service, can't touch it unless they give me permission. Or if your DNS servers are hosted by Cox, I can't touch them because they're owned by Cox, unless they give me permission, etc. So that actually, it's it's a good thing and a bad thing. I have to be very careful. I have to make sure an IP I look at belongs to the people I'm allowed to look at, and I have to make sure that I have permission to look at that system. I mean, it's, it's uh, very specific, and if you cross the wrong line, you could go to jail. And and what made you? I mean, what made you kind of end up in this role? I mean, certainly there's, you know, you're on the you're on the you're on the not the dark side, but you're on the light <laughs> side. The light side doesn't sound as cool as the dark side yeah. does, but but um, it's just cool uh, as what, get. yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what 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 kind of path took you there? Well, it's very cloak and dagger, and I always thought that that was cool. I mean, I remember a, there was a movie in the '80s called Cloak and Dagger that I thought was like the coolest movie ever. It was about some kid who. You know, somehow ended up spying, and uh, but really, what it was for me is in the early '90s. I was, you know, a young teenager. I got into this when we had 14.4 baud modems, you know, and I found out you could war dial around town, which meant you just dialed numbers in sequence until you found one that was a computer, and then you could do things to it, and I was like, this is super cool, and then then I figured out you could do all kinds of things, like get into the phone company, and all this crazy cool stuff, and and it was pretty much it from there. I was like, this is what I want to do. Of course, growing up, all through the 90s, and even into the early 2000s, it really wasn't a job, you know, to be an ethical hacker. It was kind of, there were some people that were doing it, but it certainly wasn't as big as it is now. So, I, you know, I actually said, well, I'm never going to be able to do that and tried to be in a rock band for a few years. That uh, that never panned out to make me the million dollars I hoped for. So, now that's so, uh, two yeah. totally different careers, right? Yeah. You know, cybersecurity and defense and those kinds of things or rock band. But, you know, I think the hackers are the rock stars of the tech world. 
right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At yeah. least I like to think that. You know, maybe I'm not, but I like to think it's so. Uh, yeah. So if I'm going to go tech, I might as well go the coolest coolest route there is. Sure. Christian, as we as you look at the program that you're in there at the University of Maryland, it, that's the, the term hacking is not really a word that we've used very much. Not for any reason. I just haven't heard it very much. So how does, how does that re- translate to the ACES program there at the University of Maryland? Yeah, I mean, I think it's not something that's part of the title itself, really, because it's uh, more student culture at this point. So, yes, students are learning both offensive and defensive cybersecurity, and obviously being an ethical hacker normally falls in the offensive cybersecurity uh, zone. But those are just really the two groups that we keep it at from an academic perspective, um, because ultimately with the program being interdisciplinary, not everyone is there to be a hacker. Um, a lot of people are there to actually do things like become really successful business majors or um, IP lawyers that know cybersecurity really well. Um, but for the computer science and the computer engineering majors and so forth, uh, you know, you have to keep it in the context of their major is still computer science and computer engineering. So even though we're in the ACES program and we're getting all these cybersecurity skills uh, with the hope that we uh, become cybersecurity professionals, it's not like there's a really like this component of, you know, all ACES students are ethical hackers. Um, we have students who are have all the same certifications in ethical hacking and do this for a living um, and are paid very well to do it. Um, but it's not really, it's just not a term that's part of the kind of vocabulary list, but it's kind of more or less all the same things we're learning. So. Okay. No, that, that's I just funny. It was just an observation. We haven't in all the conversations you and I have had, in fact, right. more of the conversations have been around the positive connotations of hacking when we talk about some of the things lately. It's kind of how do you take something and, and, and make it better, is, mm-hmm. I think, is the way we've turned the hacking term into if we talk about life hacking or, in, in uh, Christian's case, growth hacking uh, and, and taking advantage of what's out there and, and uh, taking advantage of it, I guess, and making it better. I mean, that's maybe where I throw that... Absolutely. Uh, kind of comes into play. Um, and that so, makes sense. Yeah, go and ahead. What I was going to say is, uh, so, and he's right, and Ethical Hacker, that's the name of my certification. I mean, I put it in my tagline or, or my uh, signature, but really, you know, officially the title is Security Engineer 2, you know, and uh, I, pen tests are what we do, or penetration tests. So, you know, hacker is more a term than, I think we use to label ourselves more so than professionally does it become a term. So I agree I agree with Christian on that sense, and he's, he's right on. And the offensive and defensive is another big, big uh, difference there too, you know. And I prefer to do offensive security, but I certainly have to understand defensive security uh, on the same token, so. Yeah. Any... John, any uh, any advantages? You know, we, we you guys often think about uh, penetration testing or the, or security testing from an enterprise standpoint. Of course, all of us guys, though, uh, if you listen to the show, you're pre- you generally probably are a little bit nerdy, and you've got probably kind of a home server set up and all those things. How does that apply, or how do you think that applies to the home user? I mean, my, our demographic is these guys all have a bunch of equipment at home. They're you know doing all kinds of things with it. From what you know and what you're working with, do we have to be as crazy and worried about security as, uh, as say, a first data or a keywit or? Well, a, certainly know? not that. No, I mean, 
a big company like that has a lot more to lose than than you do. I mean, they get into your system, they're going to get, you know, your bank account, and probably you have less than $100,000 in there, and they're going to get, you know, the stuff they would get, and plus banks work with you. You know, the banks are the ones that are really going to lose out, or your credit card gets stolen, your credit card company loses, not you. So there's that to think about. But what I do recommend, especially if somebody has any amount, anything other than just a couple of laptops and a Roku, then I would recommend at least putting some kind of firewall there. Maybe not trusting that Wi-Fi router that they provided you, or at least upping the security on it a little bit. Change the name, change the password, <laughs> things along those lines. Uh, really, that's that's pretty much enough. The, the sad state of things is if you're chosen to be attacked, if somebody decides that you are worth attacking, they're going to get whatever they want. Yeah, There's, I, I, even at First Data, even anyone, any company, any person, if they choose to get you, they're going to. I think on Cyber, or Cyber Frontiers 4, we were, when we were talking with Mark, I think that's the overwhelming like uh, theme that runs through security. If you get, if you get singled out, Christian, you can maybe talk a little bit about this. Just from if you get singled out, there's not a lot you can do except maybe unplug your router. Right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's part of a lot of it. I always talk about surface areas, key when talking about this. So, like really large companies, if you're going to go after a really large company, well, there's a really large surface area to go after. So you can be really persistent at it, and eventually something is going to shake out of the trees. Um, I actually think that. I don't refute the statement, but that statement becomes more difficult when you're talking about small mobile entities or maybe just individual people who, you know, they're running services on the Internet and they're doing transactions, but they're not as, um, they might not be as obvious as to where to find that surface area. You might know about a couple things that person is doing and uh, servicing on the Internet, but you might not have as clear of a picture as what you would when you just start, you know, arbitrarily looking around at the large entities sitting on the Internet. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's there's a little bit of room for that, but yeah, by and large. And, and it really comes down to, I think there's different degrees of kind of getting compromised or getting owned by someone in that regard. Um, I think at a high level, um, you know, everyone can, pretty much, pretty much everyone can uh, be a victim to a DDoS attack at this point. Um, the companies that have a lot of money will be better at responding to it than the smaller businesses and the medium-sized businesses. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of like the entry-level, ha-ha, I got you. Um, and then you kind of work your way up from there until you're talking, you know, big breaches of intellectual property, personal data, the types of things that get identity stolen. Um, so, I th I, again, there's room for that. But, yeah, by, by and large, and especially... Um, I think it becomes more compounded if it's a group that decides to go after you as opposed to one person. So, you know, if Anonymous decides that you're their next target, well, just, you know, just go get a cup of coffee and, and sit back and watch because that's about, that's about all you want to do at that point or unplug your router. Um, but, you know, obviously sub companies can't do that. So, Sure. And that is a valid uh, security uh you know, protocol, right? Just unplug your router. And sure. <laughs> they're not getting in, right? I mean, there's no way in at that point. That's uh, assuming you have nothing that's hosted 
online, True. like True. a Google Drive or something. So, but right. I do I do agree with oh, Christian. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to say that, and he's right. In attack surface is a big uh, a big factor. So you know, if it's a one person who has one Facebook account and shops on Amazon, they're going to be a whole heck of a lot harder to get than you know a big company, a big Fortune 500 who has hundreds or thousands of web apps. That's where you're going to find all your really juicy stuff. So, absolutely agree. Yep. John, let me let me switch a little bit on you because um, we we talk a lot about and actually uh, the last time I had Christian on, I think two podcasts ago, we talked a lot about that idea surface area. So mm-hmm. listen to that if you're a regular listener of, of Home Gadget Geeks, go back and listen to Christian. The audio wasn't great, but you can get through it. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And we talk about that. John, you said something I'd never heard of before when last time you and I were together. We talked about a Wi-Fi pineapple. Oh yes, that just sounds cool. And so I, and I, there's probably a lot of people who haven't heard of that. So Walk through what is that? What does it do, and why do you use it? Sure. Well, the uh, link to the website is in the in the uh, show notes. Uh, it's just p- wifi-pineapple.com, and uh, it's a great gadget. So it'd be great for this uh, for this podcast. It's really it's a it's a hacking tool or a pen testing tool. It's it's really targeted to be that. It's just a really small box. It's basically a uh, WRT Linux, really small version of Linux running on a very simple computer that has two Wi-Fi radios and an Ethernet jack. And uh, you can use it to do all kinds of fun things, to uh, to capture Wi-Fi signals in the air and be a man in the middle and read what people are doing, especially if it's an open Wi-Fi. You can use it, uh, there's an app, uh, they call them infusions, but it's an app, basically. So a pineapple infusion is their version of an app. They have one called Karma, and that one's really fun to use. That one you use to, basically when you have a device, whether it's a computer or a mobile phone, whatever it is, if it connects to Wi-Fi, in, especially in multiple places, generally you click remember this Wi-Fi. Like remember my work Wi-Fi, remember home Wi-Fi, remember Starbucks Wi-Fi. Well, when you go into a new location, your phone will often send out these little beacons that say, hey, home Wi-Fi, are you here? Hey, Starbucks Wi-Fi, are you here? Well, what Karma does is it says, yes, I am. It doesn't matter what the name is. So if it's asking for home, it says I'm home. And uh, it doesn't work 100% of the time. A lot of a lot of devices have started to put uh, good checks and balances in place to avoid that. But it it works surprisingly often. I went to that conference, hooked it up, had it on for about an hour, and had the whole 254 space of IP addresses were filled. And every time somebody dropped off, another person was on in a second. And this was not me attempting to force them. There was no deauth, which means I kicked them off the Wi-Fi they're on and forced them to connect to mine. This was just turning it on and letting them connect on their own, and, and it works. Take it to a mall, you'd be shocked. I wonder if my phone, when you were over there, if my phone connected. As and it very well did, yep. Yeah. I had it running. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep, and, I, and the next day, too, and it just catches everyone. Yeah, and so what does that get you? I mean, what's the, so well, I, it, my phone makes a connection to you, sure. right? say I authenticate mm-hmm. for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and I think you're a valid Wi-Fi spot. Yep, right? so you would have no idea, assuming I'm being malicious and just pushing you through to another Wi-Fi, you'd have no idea that this is another Wi-Fi. You'd think it's just whatever Starbucks Wi-Fi. And it then 
every single packet that you ship off, if you go check your Gmail or your Facebook or shopping, whatever you're doing, every packet's passing through my pineapple, and I'm logging it, capturing it just like with, uh, you know, uh, Wireshark, except they have their own versions of apps in there or, or Linux apps that'll capture it, EdderCap, things like that, and you just capture all the packets and then I can look at them. Uh, and then you're like, well, what if it's got SSH on it, or SSL on it, I mean, because technically you're going to https.gmail.com. Well, there's ways around that as well. There's kind of a hack, uh, and companies use this legitimately on their borders to check traffic, because as it stands right now, all your HTTPS traffic that's traveling within a company, they want to be able to see what you're doing and make sure you're not doing something you shouldn't be. Well, one way around that would be to use the HTTPS, use SSL on everything. Well, there has they've figured out a way to strip that SSL off and then redirect you to the HTTP site. So as the traffic is traveling through to my end, through my man in the middle, or to the edge of the network in a, in a big corporation's case, it's not encrypted. Once it goes out of the network, it redirects to the HTTPS site. At that point, it becomes encrypted. So now I can see your Google Gmail login, I can see your uh, Facebook login, and and Amazon capture your, your tokens and pretend I'm you, all kinds of fun stuff. It's almost limitless. So why are those not illegal? You know, why I mean, would they be illegal? I mean, they're just for penetration <laughs> testing. It's it's a hundred percent legit. But you're right, and there is there's a lot of people that uh, will, you know, moan about it. They'll be because they're oh, these are only good for hackers. They're only good for malicious use, and and but they're not. It's just like a lock picking set. Sure, a criminal's going to buy a lock picking set, and they're going to use it to break into a house. But a locksmith is going to have a lockpicking set as well, and that's how you're going to get in your house when you get locked out. It's a similar, similar kind of deal. So let me ask you. So you know, typical user. I know there's. I'm sure there's people who've purchased those. Those are not using them for ethical means, like you. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm on. I'm on devices. I'm traveling around. I'm. I'm connecting to Wi-Fi. Uh, what do I need to do to make sure I'm not connecting to a Wi-Fi pineapple? I mean, are my well, don't yeah. connect to free Wi-Fis for one. I mean, if you see, if you're in an airport and you see the free Wi-Fi, and you don't want to pay for the AT&T Wi-Fi, but at the same time, I can call it ATT Wi-Fi, and you know, right, so right. so it's really yeah. tough. Uh, your best bet is to get to one that requires a password, because then it's encrypted. If you know the password and you're getting on one along those lines, you're a lot safer. When you get on those open-air ones. You don't even need to have this device. I can just be sitting in the room with a computer and capture all the packets that are going over the air. There's no nothing that stops me from doing that, especially if they're unencrypted on uh, open Wi-Fi. Really, your absolute best bet, the safest way to be, is to use a VPN if you're on a public Wi-Fi. So use something like ProXPN, and I believe they have a free option. There's other websites. There's tons of websites out there that do VPN. Uh, and if it's something you do a lot, buy an account on one of the white websites like ProXPN. Or if you do it once in a while, just find one. It's going to be slower, but it's going to be safer. Think about what you're doing. That's the big trick. So really what you're recommending, right? Anytime you're out, you're connecting to a public Wi-Fi, 
regardless. And I think I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. VPN is the only way to go. You really need to create that tunnel or or, or what have mm-hmm. you. Don't don't just surf naked, so to speak. Yeah. That's exactly. kind of surfing, that's surfing <laughs> naked on a coral reef, right? Is what, yeah, exactly. What you're doing. It's not safe out there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and I've heard that uh, many times over and over and over again. I don't do a lot of public Wi-Fi stuff, but I do from time to time. I was just thinking the other day, I was at the airport, and we were. it was kind of a weird situation. We were trying to get connected really quick, and I know Omaha has free Wi-Fi at the, at the mm-hmm. airport, right? They don't, and, and so we connected, and... I also know it prompts me for, you know, you should go to the page that says, hey, free, Omaha, whatever, click mm-hmm. this to accept the agreement. Is that the same thing? If I have to click to accept their agreement, is that the same thing as putting a, a username and password in? Or no, is that and that does not mean it's encrypted. In fact, that's that's just called a captive portal. Uh, and so what that is is just a built-in little web page in their router's uh, uh, web web server basically and it just sends you to that and it says I agree and that's it or now if it asks you for a password even often that password is like to their website not necessarily to their router so like AT&T's might let anybody connect but won't let you get past that captive portal the scary part is that it take me about 30 seconds to recreate that captive portal and put it on the pineapple it's got an, an another infusion, right? Yep, so and I can just copy it, put it right on there. And what's really great with ones like AT and T or T-Mobile or the ones that you pay for is they will have a little box that says, "Please input your username and password." Oh, I love that because now I have your username and password. And so how do you know? I mean, as a user, if you're going to the AT and T one and you think it's AT and T, how do you know? You don't. Hopefully, okay. it is. I mean, you can look for signs just like with phishing. You know, you can yeah. look for signs, but usually they're just going to copy it exactly. Right. So you just have to really hope. More so if you say I sign into that, so I gave him my AT&T username and password, right? Mm-hmm. But I turn on VPN. Does that, at that point... You're, at you? that point, you're good. Your data that you're transmitting is safe. So if you go to your bank account or something, they're not going to get that. But they did get your username and password in the initial login. Or maybe you should put your the wrong password in the first time automatically mm-hmm. just to make sure it fails. And <laughs> if it doesn't, then yep. you know. I mean, I there's actually some be... uh, steps in. It was really odd in the CEH certification test where they talked about that. So you're in a place, you know, that your password could be there could be a keylogger or something on your computer. How would you attempt to foil them? And there's things like that. So you could have your password in a, uh, in that case, you could have it in, in like a text document and copy and paste it. Or you type it one letter, click to another screen, click another letter, or backspace. And, you know, so you can do things to make it confusing in their packet capture. But when they're capturing it in plain text and in this case, they're going to get a packet, and the packet's going to have your password. Where with a keylogger, you could kind of foil it, or at least make it confusing to the attacker. But with this, they're, they're probably going to get it. And it's pretty hard to avoid, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, and I think one of the recommendations we heard, um, I, we've done a few of these security podcasts recently, is uh, just don't do any mobile transactions. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Know, don't, like think about gonna, what you're doing. Yep. Yeah, if you're going to go to your bank account, which is... Sometimes you need your banking information when you're on the run, you know? But you should have um, a phone with 4G. Most true. people do. True. So use your phone. Your 4G is 
It's also hackable, but a substantially more difficult and way less likely. You'd have okay. they'd, you'd have to have somebody who really wants your stuff with a lot of money. Turn, turn off that Wi-Fi mm-hmm. and uh, just use your um, 4G. Uh, Christian Drashna is was saying in chat that of course uh, like 2012 Essentials has a built-in VPN to it or with it, right. and, mm-hmm. and you could use assuming you had a 2012 server up and running, which. Uh, John, in most communities, that wouldn't be the case, except in ours. <laughs> except here, yes. And you can yep. easily set up an open VPN uh, on your own server, absolutely. And then it's free, and that's a very good point. If you have a web server going, you're good. Mm-hmm. So, Christian, talk a little bit about it. I think you guys are doing something similar to that. Is, is that right? Yeah, so if you're going, if you're setting up Server 2012 Essentials or anything like that, that uses a type of uh, VPN that actually goes over an SSL connection. So it's it's um, it, it's considered kind of high availability because a lot of kind of public Wi-Fi's will either like whitelist a certain amount of websites or will like block you from connecting to any other ports other than like 80 and 443, right? So having it be on a standard port like that is cool because, yes, you're establishing a VPN connection over 443, but you're also running a web server over 443. So it's cool that you're getting kind of dual service communication off the same port. That's not too common. Um, So that establishes a pretty secure connection, uh, no problems there. Um, The other thing you can do, which is relatively... uh, cheap to do, well, free, really, if you know what you're doing, is if you have a router and you don't feel like doing the whole web server or server 2012 essential setup, uh, a lot of routers support VPN uh, directly into your network, and if your particular firmware doesn't, chances are that there's a DDWirt firmware you can go out and flash that will let you do the open VPN right on the router, because uh, it's really not that intensive of a service to run. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can do it. I again, I really the um, the VPN that comes in Essentials is nice because it's really easy to set up. The only thing I've noticed is that it will only do TCP only communication, um, whereas OpenVPN you can set up to do either TCP or UDP. So in some cases, if you're a gamer or if there's certain applications that require UDP that you want when you're in a VPN session, uh, you're going to want to have to set up um, OpenVPN to do that because you won't get that. Those packets just won't be picked up in the uh, network topology from server essentials. Um, but all of the features of Windows from the Active Directory environment, login and all of that, that's all TCP only based communication. So I actually have servers that I run remotely outside of our network that are tunneled and connected to the domain controller um, through that very SSL connection. So you can still do a lot with it. Um, Could I, I've got a 2012 uh, Essentials instance running on Azure right now that I assume I could just create that as a as a VPN and, and go through yeah. my Azure instance? Yeah, you could do that. And actually, that would be interesting because um, you're basically an isolated tenant at that point. So you're, you're VPNing into another isolated network, so it's kind of like two layers of security. Um, it's interesting. Interesting. John, any thoughts on that? No, that's, that's actually a great idea. And uh, speaking of the open WRT that you can put on your routers, there actually, you can put the version from the pineapple on there as well, 
And uh, there's those are really good. You can do like I said, OpenVPN. A lot more, a lot higher level of security is available on there than the ones that come with your routers. And the ones that come with your routers are generally it's shipped with one. And generally, at least the the cheap ones that you buy at the store, that's it. They don't ever upgrade it. And so it's sometimes you end up with some really bad uh, holes in that security that just sit there. There's no forced upgrades. You might be able to upgrade it, but if you go to that WRT, uh, I think it's DWRT, if I'm right. Uh, it's DDWRT, yeah. Yeah, DDWRT, yep. And you get that, you put that on, and most routers will accept that, or at least any good one. Asus in particular, I know. You put that in any of their routers. So that's good right. stuff. I but I agree. Also... Great. Go ahead. I'm sorry, John. Sorry for that. No, I was just, I, was, I agree with Christian on that, too. That's... Uh, 2012 is really good. You can add up that, that VPN, open VPN, either one. That's a really good free way to go. I may have to give that a try just to try it. I, I, mm-hmm. uh, I set up a 2012 instance, uh, oh, I guess last weekend, maybe two weekends ago, to do some testing with uh, actually streaming our video for this for this program. I really wanted a separate server. Uh, Christian's good enough to host all the average guy stuff, but... I didn't want to saddle them down with all the video resources, and so I was going to try and use Azure as the, as just kind of a test host for um, for streaming, you know, so someone can RSS to, uh, for the video, get it downloaded to the phone. But I, di- I didn't think, hey, wait a minute, I got a full server out there, I could uh, I could use that as well. I also have PFSense here uh, here at the the Average Guy TV Studios that runs out. I imagine I could turn the VPN on for oh, yeah. for uh, PFSense oh, yeah. and use that as well. Come back to my house. Mm-hmm. You definitely could. PF Sense is really good and secure as well. Okay, good to know. By the, ch- the chat room, go ahead, Christian. Go ahead. Yeah, well, it's open. Uh, they they do the Open VPN and PF Sense too, so it's all the same thing. True. Sure. Yeah, I think it's something. I guess you know, I've never been very serious about that, and um, much like my last pass, which we last we're good friends with last pass. We've had him on the <laughs> show several times. Amber Gott is uh, one of the, their their marketing rep and. Every time I have her on the program, she scares the crap out of me, and I think, okay, I'm going back. Everything's getting changed this weekend, and it usually takes me a while. Well, Heartbleed fixed that for me, so I really did go and change most everything. I've got some cleanup to do as well. Maybe this program will quit. Will get me to quit using open access uh, Wi-Fi and not <laughs> just turn on a VPN. I, my work laptop does that automatically for me, so anytime yeah. I'm trying to access work stuff. In fact, we just loaded some new software today that will literally not allow me not to surf without a VPN, right? It has mm-hmm. to. If I'm going to make the connection, VPN will be automatically turned on, which I think is a great consumer solution. Is anybody, Christian, John, you guys know, is any consumer, that most consumer-grade hardware isn't doing that at all, right? You're just in the blind? Yeah, as far as I know, I'm, I'm sure that you could get, you know, an add-on or something that would do that, but that's like the Cisco AnyConnect that you can set to be automatic, I know, or at least that's what I've seen used, and that is a good corporate solution for that, and corporations should absolutely force their users to use VPN when they're when they're logged in to a Wi-Fi especially. But uh, as consumer, I'm sure you could set it up, but I don't think yeah. by default... I'm just there, thinking the average consumer does not have the wherewithal to think... <laughs> I mean, VPN, that's not crossing. You know, my wife has no idea what a VPN is. No, oh, mine either. I can't get her to put a pin on her phone. <laughs> well, you can set up stuff like auto-reconnect on on the server essential stuff. That's not too hard mm-hmm. to do. 
That's just yeah. an option. Well, but that's Christian. That's something we have to do for them, right? I, I'm I'm trying to think about the average person who doesn't have the tech guy in their life who's gonna, you know, take care of those things for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, it's it's really I think a, a checkbox, but I guess it's knowing where the checkbox is. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, where's where is that checkbox? What I I what are you referring to? Um, in the network, and oh, actually, hmm, I might be lying. Um, so I use a little utility called AnyConnect that automatically re um, that automatically re picks up my VPN connection if it drops, mm-hmm. um, and you just let it run in the tray. So that's like the one-click solution. Mm-hmm. Um, the real like permanent persistent VPN is called the IPsec tunnel. And that's when you have, uh, it basically, all IPsec does is it establishes a layer two connection from you to another, it basically makes a tunnel, layer two tunnel from you to uh, the next network you want to enter into. And that is a persistent tunnel. So that route will always be active um, no matter what you're doing. And then it's up to you to do layer three, which is the IP addressing and the communication with, with the broadcast IP. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, that's going to be like a really unfeasible solution for the average guy because setting up IPsec tunnels are not uh, straightforward. Um, but along those lines, it's really simple to connect to server essentials and then uh, start up that app that automatically says, oh, the VPN isn't on right now. Let me turn it back on. And when I connect to server essentials, I'd be putting a username and password in? Yes. Well, yeah, you can. You just save it in the config file. That automatically goes and reconnects okay. it, I think. Okay. So, so you would John- be transmitting that over the air. And what he's talking about, actually, is that Cisco AnyConnect, uh, which I believe is free for home use. Uh, and that's that's exactly it. So if you have a VPN set up at home, you can configure it for the AnyConnect app, and it runs in your tray, just like you said, and that's probably what you're using at work. That's what most corporations use, and it will just automatically connect you, and that's, that is an option. So you could set that up. And you could probably do that with ProXBN or something. They probably have something along those lines, too. I've never tried. Okay. Well, you guys scared the crap out of me. I'm gonna. <laughs> That's what we do. All <laughs> security's for. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a serious look. I mean, it's one of those things that uh, you know. My well, in my family, none of my boys have laptops. They do everything here. My daughter has a Surface tablet that um, she rarely uses it outside the house. My wife doesn't do anything outside the house either. It's primarily me. So yeah. that's one of those kinds of things. I I've got a couple laptops with me that I use. You know, either work or my own my own personal one that I use all over the place, and that's probably some some really good security practice for me. Mm-hmm. Um, any any VPN solutions for my phone? If I'm if I'm surfing, can I can I make a can I set up VPN to do the same thing? All of those will work on your phone. There's yeah. there's options as far as I know. Uh, I know for Android, and uh, they've finally have made it so you can get past the. It used to be just PPTP that you could use, which is kind of lower level, but now you can use virtually anything and with iPhones as well. In fact, there's a Cisco AnyConnect client that is usually installed on the iPhones for corporations. So, so even, so say I set up a VPN on 2012 Essentials, mm-hmm. I can connect to that with, with my phone and then and surf through that? You should be able to, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think the, 
the built-in client in Android, I want to say, is PPTP-based, so mm -hmm. you have to make sure that the remote access, when you set it up on the server side, has the PPTP port open, which mm -hmm. you have to forward that in your router, whereas the remote access thing is already just coming over SSL, so it's, like, already done. Um, I think they changed it. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm pretty sure they changed it in 4.2, whatever the most recent one, so that now you can do SSL. So I, oh, I could okay. too, but I'm pretty sure they finally have fixed that because that's like a crazy, stupid thing for them to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> only I mean, I'm, on, I'm on 4.3 right now. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's, and they just pushed the 4.4 KitKat out mm -hmm. for Sprint customers, so um, yeah. I'll have to play with that a little bit. Uh, someone mentioned in chat that, um, what about direct access? And that is totally out of the realm of... Um, the average guy, as of this point, it's like extremely enterprise, and I doubt that very many enterprises are adopting direct access at this point, um, solely because it relies on you being an IPv6 guru and having a big slice of public IPv6s at this point. Um, and it's, I mean, the setup for it is definitely nowhere near what it is for the just the remote, regular remote access. Actually, uh, well, uh, Christian direct access is coming to an employer near you. Oh, so. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. We are implementing it. Oh, so, no. Yeah. yeah, it's coming. So we've got some... Yeah. Everyone gets it. Yeah, it's got it. It's we've had some challenges out of the gate. It just they just started rolling it out. So it's it's uh, my my laptop actually has that uh, starting today. I upgraded to that today. Funny oh, fun. that we would talk about that. That's weird. Good luck, Jim. Good luck, Jim. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it it's uh, it always it always hurts to be an early adopter. <laughs> that kind of stuff. So we'll see how that I'm, goes. Uh, just ahead, real quick, I'm checking on my phone. I got the HTC One through Sprint. Actually, I'm seeing a choice for always on VPN. I doubt you guys could possibly see that. And then you can have the PV VPN profile, and you are allowed to pick uh, IPsec, PPTP, L2TP, um, IPsec hybrid, RSA. So you got a bunch of choices now. It's not. Yeah, but different. it's but the no, one you need for the one you need for remote access is SSTP. That's the one that goes over. Um, Mm -hmm. SSL. So You're right. And that's yeah, still on here. So right. either you gotta find an app, root it, or just So not it. not as easy for the average guy. Let's nope. just let's just say <laughs> that. Okay. Well yeah. <laughs> it, it does open a door for some discussion and so I think a good one. We have never really talked about this kind of the, at this level here on this show. Certainly all our gadgets when we talk about it, this is I mean, for, for the listeners of this of this program, your phone, how you connect, your laptop that's going out, your phone that's going out, certainly things we have to be thinking about. So it's it's one of those uh, one of those topics that, like for me, I'm like, all right, I better start thinking about this mm -hmm. and uh, and get this all straight. Because if if I'm just starting to think about it, the average guy is still a ways away, and mm -hmm. uh, and so it's probably something we need to start thinking about. All right, very cool. Well. Uh, good. I, I know we 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 started Wi-Fi Pineapple, which is just a cool name to begin with. I, I like that. It name. is. Uh, we we veered, but some really good conversation um, mm -hmm. around that as well. All right, let's talk. Speaking of gadgets, Christian, anything else you want to add on that before I move away? No, I'm good. Okay, perfect. Um, I want to talk a little bit about you. You had mentioned we you and I were going, John. You and I were going over some topics to cover, and you were like, "Hey, you want to talk about quadcopters and drones?" <laughs> and of course, and. 
every guy wants to talk about quadcopters and drones. Absolutely. So as you talk about, it's funny because we we're all really familiar with with drones. Uh, mm-hmm. They've been highlighted with all the military action, and I think about the drone technology as it's come in the last ten years. You know, thanks sure. to the small little conflict in the Middle East, drone funding went through the roof, and we have some really good. The world has some really good drone equipment now. Oh, yeah. Quadcopters have not, uh, while well, I've watched some of our local kids here in the high schools and their tech programs build or mess with quadcopters, they haven't quite gotten the attention uh, that I think maybe the drones have from that standpoint. Sure. So sure. talk a little bit about when you think about quadcopters, tell me why that's hitting your radar. Well, for one, they're just fun. It's a fun little hobby to play with. Uh, it's, you know, I'm a tinker. I like to try new gadgets, so it's tons of fun in that sense. But uh, even from a, from a security sense, and actually something I'm working on as a research project is taking uh, actually a hexcopter in that case, but a, it's the same thing a quadcopter is, uh, and setting it up to have a, a wireless, uh, not wireless, uh, like a 4G modem uh, running on it, and Wi-Fi pineapple or a... Uh, a Raspberry Pi, which is a little tiny computer running um, Kali Linux, or really any kind of Linux, and then a really nice, hefty Wi-Fi antenna, and I can, and then I can already automate it, so I can say, I want you to go to this waypoint and stop, so I can send it to X point, like somebody's roof somewhere that's half a mile away, or five miles away if my battery will last that long, uh, then I have a remote connection to do Wi-Fi fun from quite a distance. And and really, if you start thinking about that, now criminals could take that a whole step further, and a guy in, uh, I don't know, in, in Russia could send a, send a fully ready-to-go you know, quadcopter to a person here who's a go-between or whatever, give him 50 bucks to put this drone outside. And that's all they got to do. It's already pre-programmed. They charge the battery and set it outside, and it takes off, goes where it needs to go, and now he's got a remote connection from uh, the other side of the world to start hacking somebody's Wi-Fi. So it, it can, you know, it, it can go a lot further. So you can't even use it in a security sense. But in the sense I'm at right now, it's just fun to fly it. It's a ton of fun to tweak it. It's it's a really. So fun I, I'm outlook. assuming you have one. Yeah, I've and I I've, I've got so I've got. Uh, this guy right here, if you guys can see it. Yeah. This is the um, AeroSky. So it's basically the cheapest, like, not toy version that you can buy. Uh, this is 250 bucks, and it's got everything you need. And I've tweaked it and added other parts, but this is the basis of it. And, I mean, if you want to build one yourself, it costs nothing. This is a whole nother frame uh, for another one that was literally $20. So you want to get started, go buy a frame, and you know each of the parts are really not that bad. The key motors, which are probably between 15 and 40 bucks, depending on how high quality you want to go, you can even go higher. Uh, besides the motors, the real key is, and there's no way you're going to be able to see it, but it's the, uh, it's the computer. It's the flight, flight controller that's in here. Uh, and this one came with a fairly cheap one, uh, but I've already ordered. They have the multi-Wii ones that are, it's essentially an Arduino board, and if any of you have messed with Arduino, it, it's virtually limitless what you can do with that. 
And then on top of that, you can it, it's got a full programming language, and it's got a whole. Uh, you can run everything, have a control from your computer or your your tablet or your phone, to and it'll show you the 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 tilt. The I'm trying to think of all the bunch of arrow terms, you know, terms, right. aviation terms. But yeah. you can look at all these different specs. It's got a whole bunch of uh, sensors built into it, and then you go a step further and hook a GPS up to this guy. And now it does become autonomous because it can tell how high it is, it can tell how fast it's going, it can tell which direction it's going. It's got it's got all this stuff. It's got a barometer. It's got the um, accelerometer. It's got the uh, magnetic compass built in. Uh, so it's got all these sensors. So it can tell where it's going. Then you add a GPS, and now it can tell where it is to a T. And now I don't even need the radio. The radio is a big hunk, and I didn't bring it over here with me. But it's it's a big, huge, like an airplane radio, airplane radio. It's got six channels on it. Uh, but you can run it all by just turning it on, program in your waypoints, and let it go off and do its thing, and it'll just come home as long as the battery doesn't die. <laughs> yeah, and how big is that battery? How long does it last under typical operation? The, at least in your the batteries. Okay, the batteries are lipo batteries. And if you start, they're called, uh, what is it, lithium polymer. So if you start buying these kind of batteries, which any kind of uh, RC generally uses, you'll see all kinds of wonderful warnings all over everything. They're, they're really... Are those the ones in the bag? The, 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 the battery they itself can be in, in a bag. bag. Yeah, this one here, for example, is it's kind of in a, in a bag, but it's solid. You can, they do have the small ones almost are in like a bag. The, the problem is that the chemicals in these, if you crash really good and it cracks open, the chemicals mixed together, it will start on fire. And it's one of those fires that's really, really, really hard to put out. So when you buy one, every battery you buy, every charger you buy comes with like a three-page, like tiny point warnings everywhere. Don't charge it in a house. Charge it at least 10 feet from any building. Charge it on cement. Put it in a fireproof. You know, they want, of course, they're trying to CYA for their own use, but sure, sure. but yeah, so they're but they're not very big. It probably weighs uh, a, f a few ounces. Uh, to be honest, I'd say this weighs about half as much as the, the actual quadcopter. Uh, but it's not it's not a very big battery at all, and these are as light as they get. And a single battery, and these are the smaller ones, will last about 15 minutes of flight, somewhere in that range. So not very long. That's why I've got three of them. Because if you want to go out for an afternoon, you know, you can be charging one while you're using the next one. But they take you know, about half an hour, 45 minutes to charge. So it's uh, that's part of the challenge. And that bag that they're in is actually like a Kevlar bag. It was cheap. They're like 8 bucks, But they actually make these special bags that are supposed to block the fire. So right. they're yeah. dangerous. Don't you know? They all say 14 and up. These blades that are on these things... When it gets spinning, I mean, they're going hundreds of RPMs, and even though they're they're kind of flexible, you can bend them. They hurt. You don't want to touch them, even when it's in idle and they're just spinning fairly slow. These little motors, uh, the motors that run these, same motor that you would see in like the RC cars that people had, especially a lot, you know, about 10 years ago or so. See them going down the road like 35 miles an hour. Well, this is the motor they had in there. You got four of them. So that's why it doesn't last very long because you got four pretty powerful motors running, but on top of that, it's uh, they're running fast. So you got to be careful. 
John, it's not like we just invented propellers. And Certainly. so, you know, we've had, I think we've had the technology for a long time to be able to do these kinds of the flying devices, these quadcopters mm-hmm. before. Why now? Why have they become so, you know... I. You know, I think it's just kind of an idea somebody had. I mean, the, the radio control airplanes have been big yeah. for many years. Right. Uh, radio control helicopters kind of toward the mid-90s started kind of popping into the scene. You'd see those if you go to one of the RC flying places. Uh, there's one here in Omaha where they have a huge, you know, scale uh, airport, basically. It's got a full runway for people to take off their jets. And they'll, you'll see the little uh, helicopters. And then I think maybe... I mean, about five, six years ago, all of a sudden, everyone there was all those little mini helicopters that everyone had that you charged from the. They were really tiny, and everybody had them like in every office that I went to, and they were flying around to each other and battling in the air. And I think it just was a natural progression to move on to this. But to be honest, I'm not sure on the 100% where they came from. I think it was a little mix of people trying new things. It's also tricky to run a a single helicopter, you have what's called like a gyro that helps to balance and it actually turns the wings and so that's kind of, it's a mechanically and it works off of kind of physics to be intelligent in a way, to move in the way that it needs. But when you got something like this with four rotors going and you want to go forward or you want to go sideways, you could not do that. Like physically, you couldn't move fast enough quite literally, your fingers can't move fast enough. Even the fastest jet pilots who are trained to have really fast reaction times couldn't react fast enough. So that's where these flight controllers come in. And I think that that was really the big kind of sticking point and what waited for because now, because of our phones, we've got extremely tiny compasses that are cheap. We've got really tiny accelerometers that are cheap. Uh, and in fact, the very first ones of these, the flight controllers, were a hacked Wii controller mm. because those have the accelerometers, and that's actually where the name multi-Wii comes from, and that's one of the most popular types of flight controllers. So I guess that's probably what caused it. So maybe the gear getting small enough, those flight mm-hmm. controllers getting small enough to be able to do that stability. Mm-hmm. That's what's really key, right? What you're saying yep. is is to keep those things stable takes quite a bit of effort mm-hmm. and and you have to the, the computer does it for you. Yep. All you're doing is saying go this way and the computer goes, "Okay, if I want to go that way, I need to change the RPMs on these two to this speed and this one up right. to this speed." And I, you know, so it's got a lot of logic in it. A lot, a lot of things it has to do or be mm-hmm. thinking about. We, you know, I uh, do a lot of college work. We go to a lot of college courses, hire uh, college folks, and we I I do a lot of uh, engineering uh, fairs where we judge mm-hmm. You know, and that seems to be in the in the uh, computer science or or uh, computer engineering uh, that that quadcopter has shown up and is showing up more and more in these guys' projects just because it's pretty cool. It's fun. Yeah, it's, it's yep. Well, especially in the farming communities, they become mm-hmm. really popular because they can you know they put cameras on them and then those things fly over mm-hmm. large farms. And farmers can quickly send those out, you know, based on a report or whatever. If they want to go check on a certain, mm-hmm. each part of the farm has a waypoint, and so the farmer can uh, put in the waypoint and send the and send the uh, the copter out to take a quick peek at what's going on out there yep. or, or what. So and, and for two hundred and fifty bucks, that's that's just too good. I mean, and they can build dozens of them, put a few cameras on them, and just have them. 
And for a farmer, that's not very much. A big farm, you're talking millions of dollars in crops. Right. It's worth it to have this kind of protection and save the time and money that it costs to send their farmhand out or to drive right. out there themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very practical too. I would think in weather, uh, you know, in weather chasing, which has been a big deal here in Nebraska for you and I over the last couple of days. I've never seen <laughs> yep. so many of my friends get interested. You know, we had a dual tornado, which just doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I in the 22 years I've lived in Nebraska, I've never seen a, a dual yeah. tornado come down. Just wipe it out. I mean, mm -hmm. just wiped it out. It's horrific. Mm -hmm. But so there's been a lot of talk of uh, weather spotting and weather chasing and what you know storm storm chasers mm -hmm. over the last couple of weeks has that happened. But you would think uh, with all that control, you might get one of these heavier quadcopters that could go up there and uh, and get some sure. good, get some good metrics without. And if you lose it, you know you're out you're out maybe ten thousand dollars instead of uh, a life. Yeah, Christian, exactly. Let me, let me ask you in what you guys are uh, talking about in your program and that stuff has. Has any of this come up as far as surveillance, uh, drone, uh, th these kinds of discussion and what you're doing? Yeah, we've had uh, several major topics about it in our uh, privacy honor seminar in the spring, and we had some guys come in and talk about it too. And, I mean, everything from uh, there are drones that are delivering uh, beer straight to people's homes um, that has been on and off again. Uh, the big thing, though, has been uh, the FAA, the FAA has had serious problems trying to figure out how to properly regulate drones within the airspace, um, and so that's been a major problem for uh, people because you know we've a lot of companies, Amazon, so forth, put in a lot of initial dollars investing these when there weren't laws and regulations, and now they're starting to come into place, and there's a lot of middle ground still left to be figured out. Um, you know, obviously the surveillance aspect of it and the, the just the amount of data you can get off these things is really incredible. Um, so lots being looked at um, with that, but we've also already seen a couple close calls with drones almost taking out planes in the airspace. Um, so the FAA really has a, a handful with, um, with figuring out where drones fall into the picture, but I mean, I think it's clear that um, this is a, a wave technology, in my opinion, so I think it's going to get us from a point A to point B, so to speak, where a lot of the things that we do delivery-wise and so forth are going to become a lot cheaper to ship and to manage uh, locally because we have these uh, units available. Um, and I think it'll propel the longer-term technology of where we're going with uh, transportation, mobility, and resources. Um, same, very similar with this notion of, um, uh, you know, encrypted currency and, and really just kind of making the stuff that we do now seem silly. Uh, I think drones will have a similar impact. Yeah, I don't disagree. And I actually think uh, we often think of a long-term or long-distance dro uh, drone delivery, and I think that's not a very practical model. Uh, John, you're just saying you know, the battery doesn't last very long. But yeah. distribution mm -hmm. points still stay the same. Uh, it, it, well, and, and when we talk about drones, we also have to talk about self-driving vehicles, which we talked about here yeah. a couple shows back We had uh, when we had the bills on the, on the program oh, three or four weeks ago. Talked about self-driving cars. Uh, one of the f Walmart or somebody I saw this on Google Plus the other day is testing these self-driving semis, and <laughs> and so drone. You know, you're talking about trucking dr drone delivery. 
mm-hmm. uh, to be able to move product across ground to get it to a local mm-hmm. distribution center. And then, you know, we might have two or three drone distribution centers here in the city of Omaha, mm-hmm. and uh, they get they'd get there. A robot would pick those off the truck, put them on a landing, you know, in a landing spot. A drone would pick that up and zip sure. that. Sure. Right. I mean, really. Oh, go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say, so you start talking about drones, and, and really you've got a – that really starts to open up a lot broader of a topic in the sense that, you know, this – people tend to call this a drone, but technically this isn't. It's run by a radio. Now, when I hook up my GPS and I set it to waypoints, now it becomes an autonomous vehicle or a drone. So if you start thinking about companies like Amazon, if you've ever seen any video of their um, – their like distribution centers where they actually package their stuff. There's large portions of these centers that are run by essentially drones. They're little robots that go around and pick up the the card that has whatever package they need and brings it to wherever. And there's huge parts where they don't even allow people in unless it's a mechanic. And you got the same thing. You can even go back further really in history and start looking at um, the especially American and Japanese car making companies. They basically have drones that work on their uh, on their line to build these cars, and it's cost people jobs, but it's also made the job a lot safer and more efficient. And then you've got things like autonomous cars, and and you keep going. So the whole drone concept is exactly that. I think where it's going to help society in general is it's going to help get rid of these drone jobs. You know, where we no longer would need maybe the uh, what do they call them, the migrant workers that go around to pick crops, you know, that's a really menial job. Those people could probably use their human intelligence and and skills for something more, you know, advanced than picking strawberries or whatever it is. And it's the same thing in a plant picking a box off a shelf. We can have a robot that does the same thing with dropping a box off at a house. Do we need a mailman to do it? Or could we set up an automated vehicle or a drone that flies or whatever. So I think I agree with Christian. I think it is a wave technology. I think it's something that's going to make major differences in the way that services and functionality works in general. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I think we'll have eventually. And, have a, go ahead, Christian. Well, I just think that we're in the era of I don't stopgap technologies is not the right mm-hmm. word, but like that tech that's like we all know it was always within the realm, and we're just starting to reach for it. And mm-hmm. some of it's some of it's a little sci-fi, um, but I think that come 2030, a lot of this stuff is gonna like take that big next step. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of this is almost like the really kind of, I see it as the vaporware. For example, this is, I mean, the definition of what I call a stopgap technology, Google Glass, where mm-hmm. we're now in this era of wearable technology. A lot of companies are trying to get into this space, Microsoft, Samsung, Google, um, uh, you name it, and really... You know what actually is wearable technology, right? Honestly, I don't think if if people had the choice between something like this and contact lenses that let them browse the internet with their eyes closed, I think we would be talking about the latter. Um, mm-hmm. But the, the point in 
the point I'm trying to make here is that I think that printing silicon on contact lenses, we're not too far away from that type of wearable technology, so to speak. But this is the stopgap we're working and learning from until we get there and until those things get into kind of a price affordability range. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, drones are the same thing, although I haven't really decided what the natural evolution of a drone is yet. I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> um, but, you know, this, again, I think, I think through... I would say at least till 2020, we're going to see a lot of these types of new markets open up in these areas that are going to be very kind of um, experimental in nature. Um, on the other converse side of that, we see big technology improvements to things that have been around for a long time, like our space program. Um, the SpaceX just uh, announced the new Dragon 2 capsule, which brings a lot of improvements to how we do space flight and uh, efficiency in the actual energy consumption involved with doing space flight. Um, and that's something we've been doing for a long time, right? So uh, I think... I think that we're, we're definitely in an interim phase of technology for these types of hardware-based things. I think on the software side, though, we're seeing a lot of um, very rapid progressions with uh, the Internet. Um, obviously, you have your buzzwords in cybersecurity, big data. Um, I'm now getting really uh, sucked into this idea of software-defined networking and what that means for me because it's part of what I do at work. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of interim tech that I think is going to get us in a really cool place uh, in the mid-2020s. Mm -hmm. I agree, and I think we're really on a good path, and there is a lot of that stopgap going on, and and there's, we're definitely moving toward, you know, one of the big things that's helping us or is going to help move is if you look into nanotechnology at all, uh, you can see the right now the practical uses for nanotech is putting special things into paint or, you know, to make it more porous or that your kids can draw on it and erase it. And that's, or chemicals in, in uh, fabrics and things like that is where we're currently actually using nanotech for. But as far as what's being researched, it's kind of the stuff that you're like exactly what you're talking about. It's huge advances in batteries, huge advances in, in, uh, being able to put circuitry into minuscule things like a contact lens. So that's kind of what's going to make that next step, I think, is nanotechnology kind of needs to catch up with our thoughts and ideas and, and you know, wishes for technology, I think, would be a big step up. Yeah, pretty exciting. Some very exciting stuff coming ahead. Mm -hmm. And I just think of, uh, you know, we think we've been printing the stuff for a very long time, and there's some very interesting technology that's getting embedding things in other things using this idea of printing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's, you know, you think about uh, 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 printing even something, you know, like this on my shirt here, this Gallup word on my shirt could have stuff inside of it that would do stuff for me at that very, very thin, very micro or nano mm -hmm. level, as you say. And so it's not just ink. It includes a lot of stuff uh, we talked about. You know, Microsoft uh, on their uh, on the uh, the Surface uh, key or uh, type covers that so circuits are actually just printed on there. That's that's not. I mean, that's how they get that so thin as they print the circuits using a certain kind of paint, then layer that over the top, and that becomes the circuit. And so mm -hmm. uh, you you take that to that's kind of a that's kind of a big level. You can take that to even smaller ones. So. Uh, some very interesting stuff coming, guys. We we are at the end. I like to try and keep these about an hour and twenty minutes. 
And uh, this has been awesome, John. I I appreciate you taking some time to come on and chat with us. Certainly, if I asked you to come back on again, would you? Would would that be absolutely, absolutely? Feel free to call me and or shoot me an email. I'll definitely come on. We can talk whatever you want. Be great to have you back on and uh, and talk some more fun stuff. We'll have to save maybe some of the hardcore stuff for the uh, the other side on Cyber Frontiers. Sure, I'll come on that one too if you want. Absolutely, some of that stuff. I let Christian kind of uh, pick and choose. That's his show, so I let him kind of pick and choose. This is mine. Well, Christian, I'm. Yep. If you if you want me on there, I'll get on there. <laughs> Perfect. Good, enough. Good, good good to have. Christian, we've got to Cyber Frontiers maybe coming up here in the next week or so. So yep. if you're listening live or if you're listening to the recorded, and we'll remind you again, we'd love to have you subscribe to Cyber Frontiers. It's not going to come automatically to you anymore if you've been part of the home gadget geek or home tech before that feed and you're getting that automatically. Nobody complained, so I imagine you guys liked it. Uh, you'll have to get that feed now. Uh, over at TheAverageGuy.tv, and we have a brand new feed. Christian, you want yeah. to add something to that? Well, yeah, just uh, it would be great if you picked it up. We're going to have some really cool guests on in the next couple of weeks. I've been able to line up some really top, like, top-notch people in the field that are ex- domain, I mean, the domain experts in the tri-state area on these uh, some of these topics. So um, you could be tuning into some really awesome uh, conversations uh, with some of the best, best of the best. So yeah. looking forward to getting that going. Very cool. And I don't normally say this, but this would be a good one to share with somebody. You know, <laughs> and we don't want you, you know, we don't make these podcasts so that it's for popularity reasons. We do it, one, because we love to do these, right? I mean, we love to get on and talk about this, uh, th- these kinds of things. It's just fun for us. It's fun, I hope, and, you know, we've got a handful of folks join us live tonight. I know we get great feedback from you guys directly in the chat room, and, and so I know you guys find it interesting because you keep coming back live each uh, Thursday night, and there's other things you could be doing on Thursday night, so I appreciate <laughs> doing that, but... We do have some really good stuff coming up, and I think some really smart stuff coming up, and I'd love to have you share that. So think about that, Cyber Frontiers, maybe the security expert in your business, in your job, whatever. Just share it. Say, hey, I've been listening to this podcast. Uh, I think you should give it a try, and uh, head them over to theaverageguy.tv. And if the average guy thing gets in the way, uh, we have a link called cyberfrontiers.info. So just mm-hmm. go, to, go to cyberfrontiers, all one word, .info. That, that'll be better. And Christian, I'm glad you reminded me of that. <laughs> I bought that URL, we set it up, and then I just it went right out of my mind. And uh, Jim so, buys new toys and then puts them in his toy box and forgets. <laughs> he reminded me, hey, does cyberfrontiers.info, so I-N-F-O, cyberfrontiers.info, does that work and still? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I tried it. Sure enough, takes you back to the link. So if you want to share that, that might be an easier way for you to share that with your uh, cybersecurity friends at work. Uh, we'd love to have you come out. That'll take you right to the feed for Cyber Frontiers. And uh, and then if you're listening on iTunes, I haven't asked for this in a long time. Uh, I'd love a review. We haven't had a we haven't had anybody give us a review since like uh, I think November of 2013. And or even later back than that. And uh, not many of you, I know a lot of you guys get them through podcatchers and such, but if you do use iTunes, it would be great to get a review for the new home gadget geeks. That will help us in our iTunes ranking and such. And so, again, it's not all about the numbers. I like engaged listeners, and I know I've got the best engaged listeners on the planet. We don't go for the the gimmicks or the gadgets or whatever those kinds of things uh, some of the other podcasts do or all the advertising. We just try to have fun out there and get it done. Speaking of having fun, one more reminder, we're getting together for the Home Server Show meetup in Indianapolis. September 20th, this will be number four, I think, uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the scheme of things. 
The last three have just been dynamite, and so if you're anywhere near the Indianapolis area, and I'm driving 10 hours, so if you can't, uh, and John, if you're, you're welcome to come with me if you want, I could use a, I could use a ride if you want to head out to Indy for the if weekend. But, yeah, that's fine. No, I, I I'm, just, I'm just kidding. But I do expect if you're 10 anywhere within 10 hours, Christian, how how far? We figured that out last year, right? How far is that for you? Yeah, I think it's also about 10. Yeah, we 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 did get a request in the home server show forums for you to show up and speak. Oh. I saw that come through today. They're like, "Well, maybe if Christian could come and give a security, you know, kind of thing." I'm like, "Well, I we'll have to get Christian out there somehow." September 20th, Northern Indianapolis, and we all the details for that will be in the show notes. Just head out to thehomeservershow.com, jump in the forums, and you can search for Meet Up 2014. It'll be great. Only 55 slots this year. We're gonna we're gonna cap it just because it got too big on us last year and uh, we've already I think 10 or 12 or have already been sold so you want to head out there 20 bucks not bad just help Dave cover the cost he paid a grand just for lunch last year and so we want to make sure we cover some of those costs and uh, we'd love you have you join us out there that'll do it for another uh, Home Gadget Geeks great conversation tonight guys thank you both John and Christian for coming out we'll do it again on Thursday next Thursday every Thursday we're out here 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. I said that backwards a couple of shows ago, and now I have to check myself every time. Here at theaverageguy.tv slash live. Both of you stay around for the post show. Remember, you can't get the post show unless you come out to the live show. We've got a great audience now kind of joining us every Thursday live. We'd love to have you do that as well. You can do that. Just come out to theaverageguy.tv slash live, and we'll have you out. We'll do it all again next week. I have no idea who's up next week, but I know it'll be good. Come back out uh, next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>